Athletics offers people a chance to develop skills at teamwork and individual achievement. Both are necessary. Much of what we do, both for work and leisure, requires teamwork and individual achievement. At times, even the best teams and people need a boost. My guest today uses pizza as both a food and a metaphor to lift people up. Do you lead a team that needs a boost? Are you a teacher? I want to find a way to teach collaboration and personal responsibility. My guest today will share how to do that. The Eating Liberty Podcast, Episode 241, Food and Freedom Once a Week for Life. Folks, Dan Reed here. Welcome back to the podcast. Jeff Christian is my guest today. Jeff has donned many caps in his time. He started two charities, played and coached high school, college, and professional basketball, has been a nurse for almost 30 years, and now adds author to that list. Jeff's book, We Rise Together, is part of the Pizza Day series and fits in with his charity, C4, that's the letter C4. I've invited Jeff on to talk about the book, the inspiration for the story, and how voluntary action works for good. Hello, Jeff. Thank you for joining me today on the Eating Liberty Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dan. Excited to have a, a good talk. Well, I'm excited to have a good talk, too. I'm going to talk... Uh, well, I'm going to get everybody all excited. I'm going to talk a little bit about pizza. Oh, man, pizza, that sounds great. Um, but we're going to go more into, well, we're going to we're going to make some metaphors about pizza. And I'm going to stretch that even further into something you know about, which is round ball. Uh, but before we get to all of that, let's have a little bit of a brief bio about you and how you got here. Yeah, so that's a that's a loaded question in itself. So, yeah, how I got here, uh, I'm one of eight uh, siblings that I have, and uh, um, there's five boys, including me, and three girls, and I'm the youngest boy. And uh, my mom and dad raised us all within probably about eleven year span, from the youngest to the oldest. And so. Wow. You know, your question, hey, how'd you get here? You know, so much of my influence in my life was how I grew up and uh, just being honored to have my mom, who her nickname is The Rock. And so in the stories that I write, she's the main character. Um, and you can see the, the character is African-American woman. So Mrs. Rock is in the likeness of my mom uh, in spirit, but also in this incredible woman, Miss Diane Smooth, who had a big influence in my life that I'm sure we can get into later. But yeah, I grew up in Campbell, California, which most people don't know where that is. So I say San Jose uh, and had a great childhood. You know, we, we were blessed to go to private school my whole life and even more blessed to be the janitors of the school, to be the landscapers of the school, to set up and take down bingo so we can kind of earn 
our way without having to pay. We, we definitely always had our needs met, but I wouldn't say we had a lot of money by any means. And uh, so just, yeah, had fun growing up and then kept growing. Uh, literally, I'm six foot eight, uh, which uh, you, you can't tell now and uh, ended up being pretty athletic and a good basketball player and received a full scholarship to the University of San Francisco, uh, where I played for four years and was the first male student athlete to become a registered nurse. And so uh, I graduated in 1992 and then worked in the nursing profession for 29 years and recently went into early disability retirement. And I have uh, quite a few health challenges, um, but the main one is if I, ha I have a pretty significant aortic root aneurysm that doesn't allow me to lift heavy things. And the nursing profession, which a lot of people probably don't know unless you've been a patient in the hospital, is very physically demanding. And uh, in my background, when I was a bedside nurse, I worked in the trauma ICU at UC Davis, which is a level one trauma center. And the patients were were big and heavy. And uh, so, yeah, I had to go into early disability retirement uh, officially last November. And um, now I just do my nonprofit work. Well, nursing is extraordinarily physical. And it, my mother was an RN for years. And um, you, you learn ways to move bodies. And, and so she was good at doing that. Yeah. Uh, even, even us. <laughs> I said, get up. Oh, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> you mentioned your charity, and we're going to talk about your charity. There's... There's, there's a lot of things that seem to tie together. And one of the things, and, and maybe because of being one of 10, eight kids, two parents, there's, I, I because I don't know about this, I'm, I'm three kids and then I have two kids. So by comparison, at least half the size, I think there's a level of teamwork Forced or otherwise, you sort of have to learn to get along with eight siblings in, in such a close period of time. And so I'm at some point, probably the eldest was taking care of the youngest and helping the parents manage the things that have to be done. You've got to feed the kids and get the kids ready for school. It's just there's a lot of stuff to do in a house, even with two kids. So this, this idea of teamwork becomes necessary for the family to get by and then working for the things you have clean the school organize the school a a sense of a sense of responsibility and well i i oh there, there's a really great word for this and i i was gonna say it and then it just left my head so now it's like uh, I'm, my moment of brilliance is gone. No, it's um, good. I, I totally am capturing what you're sharing. And yeah, for sure, growing up and I didn't realize it and I didn't like it at the time because, you know, we would end school and all the other kids got to go home and go play and I got to clean up their mess. And so you weren't so happy about it. But then you fast forward to your adult life and you realize, man, I have one heck of a work ethic. You know, every last sibling 
just gets after it. And we all went into civil service. You know, I had two brothers that were police officers, a brother that's a special ed teacher, a sister that was a psych tech, a sister that's a nurse, sister that's a probation officer, brother that's a probation officer. We all, because my dad was a firefighter and my mom was a nurse, even though she didn't, not till my adult years did she start working uh, in that capacity. But yeah, my my childhood for sure shaped my whole life, you know, and my nonprofit is called C4 Leaders. And those are the values of which I lived my life this day and from my day one when I was born, when I didn't even know what those four C's were until like you're, you know, feeling and, and trying to put the words together to it, you are forced in the best way possible to learn how to listen, you know, so my first C is communication. And that I define as listening with an empathetic ear with the intent of serving others. You have eight siblings all roughly around the same age. Yeah, you're going to have to learn how to listen with empathy. And I had the best role model, you know, my mom, you know, and it was crazy growing up because it was chaos. You know, it was chaos. But somehow she ended up when when you needed someone to listen to you, the world stopped. And so my mom was just the best role model of like, you felt like there was no one else around. And she was the best one to guide me in coming up with that definition of communication because it's a little different. Listening with an empathetic ear, with the intent of serving. And so that came just from witnessing my mom. And then the chemistry is a piece that you're talking about. Developing trust in yourself to bring and receive value from the connections in your life. That's working with your eight brothers and sisters, figuring stuff out, not getting along, you know, solving problems and then figuring, hey, well, how do I fit in? What's my role within this space, you know, which is so applicable to every last job that you're going to do? You know, you have to work together, you know, and so I was blessed again to have that when I didn't even know what it was, but it's just part of my DNA. And then the third C is this consistency. And, and I don't swear, but I do say this one word. I don't know if it's okay, but the, there's two things that I, we, I mean by consistency. The first one is BTA. You know, you got to bust that ass. If you want to be good at something, you know, in your case, a, a chef, chefs work crazy hard and you have to be willing to bust that ass to, to see how far you can push yourself to be the best that you can be. And then on the flip side of that, uh, what I mean by consistency is to consistently challenge your thoughts and perspectives to the point of vulnerability. And that allows you to truly empower yourself because you realize, you know what? Hey, I'm not perfect. I'm going to make mistakes. As long as I can continue to work hard and learn from those, good things are going to happen, which leads me to my 4C, creativity, overcoming fear to be willing to share your God-given gift. And if you can put all those four C's together, that's powerful. You know, so that's why my nonprofit is basically powerful leaders, C4 leaders. And that's what I try to convey in the books. And now I just use pizza to get that message across. Well, we're going to get to that. So when I first heard C4, I sort of laughed to myself in a diehard John McClain way. <laughs> no, no, no. He doesn't mean that kind of C4. I'm going to say, I think you mean metaphorically exactly that kind of C4 because I'm listening. So the consistency of bust your ass, that applies to 
pretty much anybody doing anything, whether you're washing the dishes because you don't want to, so you're going to move swiftly, maybe do a poor job and have to do it again, um, to being a basketball player. Basketball player, I love the game. I'm not exceptionally good at it, but I really love the game. Um, but to get good at it, you have to put in a, a lot of time. There's just there's just time invested. And so dribbling drills, and you don't necessarily see yesterday from today a big difference. Mm-hmm. But in a week, you just might put the time in. Same thing goes with cooking. Same thing goes with writing or painting or whatever your craft is. Mm-hmm. Um, the So people are willing, probably, the physical part, that's easy, relatively speaking. The hard part, and this is the part that doesn't require labor, but it requires introspection, is the willingness to be vulnerable. Mm. So first you have to be vulnerable to yourself. You have to be willing to look in the mirror and say, I don't particularly care for some of the things that I see. Now, that's a it's a huge step right there. Now, now you have a choice. What are you going to do about it? Something or nothing. And then that's that's another rabbit hole for another show. But that's that is I'm going to torture my metaphor and say that's explosive stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and putting that all together, listening with empathy to hear the so the person feels heard not so you can make your gotcha point Mm -hmm. that's not what communication is so that's very impressive Ah, um the word i was looking for was stewardship so Mm. when you're cleaning that school there's a sense of not actual ownership but a sense of well emotional ownership doesn't quite come close well it comes close but it's not quite right but there but but when you're invested in a thing you then you have some concern about the thing. Say, hey, stop making a mess because i got to clean up after you. So uh, I think the sense of stewardship and cleaning up at the school and then that sense of stewardship and taking care of others and things, not as important as others, I think that probably applies. For sure. Definitely. Um, so – before we get into the pizza day, so the series is called Pizza Day. The book is called We Rise Together. Um, there, there's one more aspect of your family experience and anybody's, but that is another metaphor I'm going to completely abuse, <laughs> which is teamwork. So as a nurse, you absolutely have to have teamwork because you can't you can't do all the things at the same time. You can't be in that drawer getting sutures and the other drawer getting the C-line and moving the patient from one thing to the other. You have to have teamwork, which requires communication. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the basketball court, you need teamwork. Uh, in the kitchen, boy, how do you need teamwork? Because you can't be in the oven on the grill at the fire and the expedited line at the same time. So – the We Rise Together book. So I want you to talk about the book, but I want I, the the teamwork really was a thing that stood out to me in several ways as the, the the real important part of probably your charity and probably people finding a way to even through disagreement achieve 
a goal bigger than themselves. Yeah, for sure. And that's what I love about it. And I'm going to jump around all over the place because it's it's been so fun. You know, in my life, I've done quite a few things and done quite a few things at the same time, which probably wasn't always a good thing. And then my health issues have been a blessing. And then pizza has really saved my life. You know, and I and I say that and I get goosebumps just sitting here thinking about that because of the process. You know, and you can't rush making pizza, you know, the right way that uh, and, and not that mine's the only way, but the right way for me, I'll say, you know, having a wood fired pizza oven and using sourdough that takes time, you know, and time is a key ingredient, I think, to making a great pizza. Um, and so this whole process has been so much fun. And then to fast forward, and like I said, I'm gonna jump around, you know, it's, it's crazy. We're making pizzas at home. And now all of a sudden I decided to make the nonprofit focus on pizza and, and helping people rise together. Then next thing I know, we're, we're out at a winery and we're making a couple hundred pizzas. And all of a sudden now we're like a catering company, even those we're not, you know, and I have all the certifications to do that and, and, and everything, but it's like, well, wait a second. No, I'm, I'm somebody that's making pizzas at home with his family and his neighbors. And now all of a sudden we're, we're doing this on a, on a pretty big scale. And I'm tying this into your teamwork because it is so fun. And the first time that we did it, the wheels fell off immediately, you know, and we realized that we, we thought we were organized and we had our systems, but then it, it, it happened just like a snap of a finger. Okay. Hey, this is not going to work and we're going to get backed up. And so we just had a timeout real quick, regrouped, got a dial in and then knocked it out and had so much fun and just growing up the way I did playing sports the way I have being in the nursing profession, like you're saying, Dan, how it just demands teamwork for me to go out and I'll say perform, you know, when we're making pizzas as a team, yeah, it doesn't get any better uh, than that for me. And so, uh, yeah, you, you are definitely, 100% right that uh, I think life is is all about teamwork. And again, I think it, it goes back to my four C's. That is my compass uh, that I use to navigate uh, this one life that we have. All those C's bring people together and allow us to, to work together. And in this case, the title of the first book, To Rise Together. So, Mrs. Rock, your... I'm going to say fictional teacher, and, and, and maybe that's only partly right. So Mrs. Rock faced with a challenge in her classroom, and, and this challenge pushes her to her limit. How does she respond to this? So I want you to sort of just give the <laughs> synopsis of the book, and then we'll talk about the next one, because surprise reader, there's a new one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, so Mrs. Rock is, is teaching third grade and the students are just giving her the business, you know, and it's just life, you know, and I, and I don't even know what to call this. I'm going to take one step back because the book's a fiction, but it's not, you know, so, 
you know, Mrs. Rock is in the likeness of, of like I was saying, my mom and, and Miss Diane Smooth. Miss um, Smooth was an educator. Uh, my mom was my teacher, you know, at home, so to say. Uh, and then I just wanted to be able to combine and get into real life of knowing that, that kids are struggling and it's a hard time out there. But if we can slow down and focus on the right things, again, we can rise together. So Mrs. Rock's third grade class, the students were just blaming. They weren't listening. They weren't getting along. They weren't working as a team. And so she went home that first day and she had been teaching for 44 years and just cried herself to sleep. You know, but what's allowed her to teach for 44 years is the belief that she has in all people. And so she said, hey, I got to I got to figure this out. And I know that my class can rise together. And so she says, we're going to use this pizza making process to as our guide to help us figure out and navigate life. And so the, the story just goes where she introduces all the different components that go into the pizza making process that are, you know, metaphors, so to say, of this is how you work through life. And so the story just kind of unfolds and jump to the end of the book and the class rises together and they all learn how to feed their starter, you know, which is huge for someone that makes sourdough pizza. You know, I feed the starter every day and that's just my reminder. What am I doing on the daily to nurture my heart and soul, you know, which is what I uh, equate to feeding the starter. And so Mrs. Rock's students take action on the daily to feed their starter. And that's how the class rises together. So in, in case the, the listener is getting a little bit confused, the, the book is, so Mrs. Rock actually in, in this, in the fictional classroom makes pizza with the kids. So now as a baker, and as a guy who's made pizzas, there, there's a lot here that I find really interesting. And and I'm gonna, you don't have to take this, but I, I discovered a fifth C <laughs> that applies to probably everything, but certainly in the pizza making process, and that is calm. Mm. And so when I was when I was the chef in in the kitchen. Um, I sort of, I invented a pantheon and the Zeus of my <laughs> fictitious pantheon was the bread god because there's nothing you can do to make bread go faster than it wants to go. You, you can cheat and put it in someplace hot and you might get it to rise faster, but the fast rise of the dough is a net negative for the flavor and the quality of the dough. So dough has its own pace. The bread god has his own pace and lo, woe on you cook who dares mess with that. <laughs> and, and, and it was, it, the bread god was so serious that if you as a cook were going and monkeying around with the bread, displeasing the bread god, something bad is going to happen on the hotline. It's because you did something you oughtn't have done. <laughs> and and the kid then and the cooks thought out that this guy's nuts, and then something would happen. They burn something. I I told you, I told you, and they're like, okay, okay, okay. So everybody learned real quick. Just let the bread do what the bread's <laughs> going to do when it's ready. Then do the next thing. Before that, don't do a thing. And that's 
learning when the ingredient, learning when the moment in life is ready for the next thing is a very difficult thing to learn because you can't read it in the book. No matter how much I know about food, I can't tell it to you because I don't know what's going on in the container. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it takes practice. It's not one and done. Tomorrow won't be the same as today, so you have to learn to see what it is you're looking at. Mm -hmm. And how, how do you know? Well, you're going to make mistakes. And so I, I, I like that part of, of, the, of the class learning this stuff yeah and, and and the metaphors to all of life just it's it's it, now it, it's entirely possible that with my background and the things that maybe i'm bringing a lot more to this than say somebody else would maybe i don't i have <laughs> maybe maybe there's a diesel mechanics that say dude what are you talking about but i don't know anything about being a diesel mechanic and i'm sure it's it, there's probably lots of things that these are mechanics know intuitively that aren't in any books. I don't know what they are, but yeah. there, there was, I like that part. I yeah. like that a lot. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah. And you're, yeah, you, that's what I love, you know, and I've made, I don't know, I don't keep track, but probably six to 8,000 pizzas now, you know, and every one is like the first one. You know, and just when you think that you've learned what the fire's going to do, what the dough is going to do, I, th I think you do yourself a disservice. You know, you, you have to just realize, hey, each and every time I do this is different. And let me just look at it from a beginner's mind so you can enjoy just the spirit of kind of getting, not to sound too corny, but in getting in one with the ingredients, you know, and, and the dough and the wood and, and the floor, you know, of the pizza oven and the toppings. And can you get your sauce to be just right? And there's a, I think a, a time component to the sauce for sure, you know, and uh, at the, the temperatures of, of that. And so it's just been so fun for me because the only thing I knew about pizza before this was that I love to eat it. You know, and so I've, you know, just been trying to learn. And, and like you said, I'm not afraid to make mistakes and I'm not afraid to say, you know what, that just didn't work out, you know, and I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, and then just, all right, hey, if I'm lucky enough to wake up uh, the next day, let's give it a shot. Let's learn from the mistakes that, that I made uh, and let's try and do better this next time. You know, there's, it, it's a very... Cooking to a degree, but that's kind of a heat joke, um, but baking very much more so is a very humbling experience, especially when you get comfortable, when you think you've got it. I, I think of that, that three-word line from Star Trek where Han Solo yells at Luke, don't get cocky. As soon as you think you know bread or heat, maybe they brought you the wrong wood, so it's not as hot or it's hotter. It's like, as soon as you think you got this down, something, oh, you know what? We're going to fix that here. We're gonna, so the marinara had too much water in it, and the cheese is the wrong cheese, and it's got too much fat in it. And it's like everything goes wrong. It's like, oh, man. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree, but that's, that'd be one of the things I would challenge the listeners, you know, is can you, regardless of your expertise, can you slow your life down enough to just look at things for the first time, even though it might be my seven thousandth pizza that I've made, but I, I try and challenge myself. And there's, there's two words that I always think of humble and curious. Can I stay humble and can I continue to be curious to try and keep learning and challenging and push myself? And those two words allow you to play free. It just kind of goes back to that consistency definition, consistently challenge your thoughts and perspectives to the point of vulnerability and humble humbleness and curiosity kind of just go with that perfectly. You know, and then you're like, oh, man, I, I, I can't tell you how many pizzas, you know, I'm taken out of. And then I dumped, you know, it's a beautiful pizza and you're pulling out the peel and and I use a metal one. And sometimes those babies will slide uh, around. And depending on my setup and how much space I might be in a spot where I got to take it too far and the person's all excited and boom, right on the ground. <laughs> it's not like you're going to pick it up. Hey, here's your pizza. You know, it's hey, sorry about that. And you just got to laugh. You know, hey, we need another one. And uh, so you, you got to have fun. And then definitely, you know, other challenges of just to kind of get off the topic here a little bit, but of making the pizzas, you know, and not putting up enough flour down. And now the thing just sticks like glue, you know, and there's no way. I do know. Yeah. And so uh, you got to sometimes just be willing to to throw it away, uh, laugh it off. And all right, let's go. Let's go to work and make another one. You know. I like watching the social media. Every one of those apps has some version of short little clips of everything in the world. And I'm a particular fan of, well, I'm, I'm sort of an old fart. And so I like the old school basketball players. And I'm a particular fan of Jordan for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. One of them is that he's very plain about his quest for excellence. And he recognizes it's entirely his own. You don't have to share mine. And you know, on the basketball court, get out of my way. One of the things that I found really interesting that he said was, and, and this isn't always been me, is if I miss a shot, I don't brood about it. And I said, oh, well, <laughs> that might have been me if maybe it wasn't playing on the court. But if, if something, something I was trying to accomplish didn't meet my expectations, Man, I would brood about it. I would, I would question my, <laughs> question myself. My, am I even fit to be a human? Do I even exist? Do I deserve to live? I mean, just some really deep, dark things over an unmet expectation. Now, maybe I had a lot of cash invested in that thing, a lot of time, or a lot of expectation for the response from the person I'm giving it to. And I understand that all part. And, and being the guy who's going to make or break the game, you missed the last <laughs> one-tenth of a second left and you missed a shot. Yeah, that's going to sting. And he never said it didn't hurt. But I'm not going to let it keep me down from going on the next day and trying harder to do that thing. And I think that that's the, the, the courage and the humility to say, oh, all right, well, be vulnerable enough to own. I've, yeah, we lost. I did it. 
or I dropped the pizza or I mean, whatever the thing is in your life. I mean, it's, it's back to that. That's a re I, I don't know if it's really difficult or not. Yeah. Well, but I, I think it is a challenge. It's been a challenge for me. So I project this a challenge for most people that it's, it's a, it seems, it's it, sometimes a really challenging thing to do is to be honest and courageous enough to say that that wasn't my best. I, I did that and, and, and maybe that's the thing different now. Maybe that's what Mrs. Rock's problem was that 44 years ago, students weren't the same as students are now, as people are now. I mean, this is a weird thing to say because everybody says, of course, this is true, but society and people have changed over the last 44 years. How? Well, you know, we have, we have digital connectivity that didn't exist. And so all these things change us in ways that are immeasurable for good or for better for both. Yeah, no, I would agree. I want to come back real quick to your expectations, you know, and expectations, you mentioned it briefly, but I've been a, a a high school, college, professional basketball coach for close to 25 years, probably. And I think early in my career, I would talk about expectations, you know, and then on the surface, I think, okay, it's, that's a good, strong word. And kind of you're setting the table, so to say, for this is how we do things. But as I've matured and gotten some more experience, I think expectations, and this is going to be a generalized statement, I think they have a, a tendency to steal happiness because it's we're programming our brain to fast forward to what we think is going to happen. And most of the time, life doesn't turn out the way that we think. And so I think we set ourselves up for unhappiness. And that can come across in stress and come across in me being short with my wife or my two kids or my players uh, in so many different parts of our life. And then definitely when you start looking at performing, you know, it, it definitely takes away your focus and and lessens your ability to go out and perform because you're putting your energy into the wrong things. And so I love the word, you know, if I'm working with a team standard, you know, this is the standard of which we're going to try and build this culture or achieve. Um, and yeah, it's just uh, that word has been an interesting one for me, probably in the last five to, to seven years, you know, and then your your comment about, you know, society is changing for sure, you know, but uh, I think it's what we've always done. You know, there's always been some sort of new technology that's come along, whether it was the car or the radio or the TV or the computer or the phone. And we've continued to evolve. And there's no way that 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 is ever going to change. You know, it's just and I agree. I think our brain uh, is changing. And I think our amygdala, which was, you know, part of uh, the simplest part of our brain to keep us safe. I think now the influence of technology has that firing just a little bit too much and doesn't allow us to get into this space to be humble and curious because we're too worried about placing blame, dealing with expectations and so on and so forth. 
Um, but I think that's why I believe in this process and why I'm writing children's books to help youth and families take a step back and try and slow down and use uh, our greatest strength of, of change, you know, which is going to continue to happen. But that's, that's change in building stronger connections. That's change in listening a little bit better with being present. That's change with busting that ass just a little bit more towards the things that I want to put my energy into. That's change towards being receptive to feedback uh, and, and, giving and receiving, which is part of the consistency stuff. Uh, and then let me overcome uh, and share, you know, my hopes and dreams, you know, with the world and have that be receptive to where, Dan, you take um, a lot of, uh, I don't know what the right word is. I'm going to say pressure, but that's not it because I'm just going blank right now. But you have a responsibility to help me share my gift, you know, and for you and your neighbors to know them and, hey, how can I help you share your gift? Which again is a creativity piece uh, in the C4 stuff. So I'm getting off topic a little bit here, but yeah, there's just so much life that comes through, in this case, just pizza. As you repeated it back to me, the, my comment about technology almost sounded to me like a platitude. Of course, it's there. And then I, I was laughing. I was texting with my sister yesterday. I said, "My God, I sound like our parents because I'm complaining about the kids." Like, <laughs> so my line is, "Well, when I was your age, I'm like, oh my God, I didn't just do that, but I did just do that." And so it sort of makes me laugh in a in a slightly uncomfortable way that I harassed my parents about. You know, this is the early 80s, and they got mad at me about that because whatever the so there wasn't major technological change from the 70s into the 80s. I think the the um the the giant laser disc was the big new thing of the time, and then VCR versus beta, and people, you know, people so there's a whole group of people who don't know what either of those things are. <laughs> Some people say, oh, man, beta was better. But so I, I don't offer that as a platitude, although it sounds like one, but it's, it is this technology keeps marching on and in the process of doing that somehow seems to make us lazier. I'm not sure that's really true, and maybe that's the same platitude. I don't know, but it is an interesting observation. Yeah, no, I would agree. I mean, it's uh, our brain is crazy. It's about 2% of our body weight and it uses 15% of our, that's uh, 15% of our cardiac output. I'm going to go a little bit nurse on you real quick. And your cardiac output is your heart rate times your stroke volume. And so stroke volume is about uh, the amount of blood that gets kicked out in one heartbeat. So 15%, that's, that's a lot. It uses 20% of your oxygen consumption, which is crazy amount. And then this is the kicker for me. It uses 25% of your glucose consumption. And so I'm, I'm sharing this with you to tie it back into your statement that you were just talking about how we're lazy. And I don't think people are lazy. I think we're just tired because the amount of data that we consume 
now because everybody's on their phone for a long time or in front of the computer with just the nature of how we are changing as a society. All of that takes a tremendous amount of energy from our brain. And then our, our nutrition is probably not, not the best just to generalize. And so we're just tired and we're tired. And I think putting our energy, perhaps just again, to generalize into the things that, that aren't truly, you know, essential. And, and I think everybody has those desires and needs, but sometimes life just gets moving a little too fast. And one month turns into to three months and three turns into six and 12. And it's like, whoa, how did I get over here? You know, and uh, again, that's what I'm trying to do with these books is can we introduce some few simple concepts that will allow us as a society to just kind of take a step back and come to the table, so to say, to just honor each other and to slow down. You know, and that's one of the things that that I really learned in traveling a little bit. My youngest daughter, Aaliyah, and hello, big, big yo, if you're listening uh, to this episode, uh, she lives in Spain and she teaches English out there. And in Spain, from two to five o'clock, they have what's called descanso, where everything just stops. You know, people go home and they take a, a little siesta uh, and then they just uh, relax and then they'll go back to work for a little bit. But then they'll have dinner and they start dinner like at nine, 10 o'clock in Spain. I mean, it's crazy. But they all come to the table. You know, and about 86% of families in Spain eat their meals together. And it's just so different. And that allows them to have those connections and get energized. And, and I just love that part of just kind of seeing how different people kind of rise, rise together. And that's one of the things, again, I'm trying to do within this book is just get our families here in the U.S. to come to the table and have meals together. And the last thing I'll say, then I'll let you talk. I'm throwing about a, a bunch of different stuff at you. But one of the top indicators for student success is the frequency of family meals. How often does your family with no distractions come to the table, whether it's breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and just sit there and just kind of honor each other and create the space to kind of be vulnerable uh, or celebrate, you know, and just talk about life. And again, what's essential? Because if you don't do that in our country, it's roughly like 36% of families will have four or more meals uh, together per week. So we're just, we're scattered. We're doing all different kind of stuff. And if you start to play that out, you know, I'm a fourth grade kid now, and schools are, you know, teachers are amazing, but they got a lot going on. They got 32 kids in their classroom. And so they're not really going to have time for your kid to have one-on-one -on -one time and your kid's struggling. Okay. Well, now you're working two jobs and you, your meal time is, is spread out. So who is that fourth grader going to turn to, to kind of just have a talk about what's going on inside him or her? You know, and, and obviously all parents want what's best for their kids. But again, I'm trying to just help us take a step back and maybe see things from a different perspective in both of the books that I'm writing in the whole series, because my target audience is really youth and families. At this point in my life, I have a sense of urgency to try and help um, use what I've learned uh, to share that with people. Um, so, yeah, I'm getting long winded. I'll just I'll cut it off right there for a little bit. 
you know, we've talked a little bit about, we've not said change, maybe we've said change, but we've talked a lot about change and, and cultural change. And there's, and I'm going to sound like my dad again. And, and I remember six o'clock, dinner was ready. We all sat down at the table. And then as we got a little bit older in junior and senior in high school, there was, you know, sporting events. There was basketball, basketball games, football games, football practice, band practice. There was maybe work. There just became lots of perfectly legitimate reasons to not be at the house having dinner because you're doing things and we want people to engage in sports. It's There's lots of good reasons, social and physical, to be athletic, even on a team in high school. And so all of those things sort of contribute. And, and now we do sit down to have family meal, but my wife teaches class and sometimes they're a digital class, so she's not at the table. And there's there are things that we do. Because right here and now, this is the important thing to do because this is what's going to help keep food on the table and the roof over the head. It becomes a really difficult challenge. And I think it's, I think pointing it out is right. I think what you're doing is right. I like the idea of getting everyone back together because there wasn't a TV on. We sat at the dinner table and didn't always talk. Sometimes we all just, we're busy shoveling food in our face, but it was a time to talk about stuff and you got to test out how well are you at negotiating even the simplest things. Stop touching me. Stop touching me. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. Mom. When that's denied, I think, I think kids miss out on a lot when they can't bicker to the point of either fixing their own problem or worse, causing the other one to cry because they were hurtful with their words. When when that's stymied because the parent doesn't want to hear it, I think the disservice of the kid is when that kid goes out and he has a job, the kid has no people skills, none. So <laughs> looking around for a mom to say, stop, stop being a pain in the behind. And family dinner wasn't always peaceful, but it was informative. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I, one, one last thing on this and then we'll move on. Uh, but one of the things I'm really excited about, you know, several schools are using, you know, my book, the first one we rise together uh, as a, like a theme for, for the school year. And so those schools that are using the book, I have this feed the starter challenge. And I'll just jump to because it's one for the teachers and the school administrators, uh, one for the students. And then the one that I'll share with the listeners here is the Feed the Starter Family Challenge. And uh, the family challenge is simple. Hey, I just want you to have four meals. Uh, It could be breakfast, lunch or dinner for four weeks, you know, four meals per week for four weeks. And then after you've done that, send me a message. Let me know the, the influence that you uh, notice uh, on your family. And then after that, we're coming back and we're going to celebrate uh, and party with some pizza uh, at school. Nice. And when and when we do that, you just say, hey, just bring your favorite board game, uh, bring some cards, uh, bring a chair uh, and a blanket. And we're just going to come out and let the families 
you know, build community uh, through that space. And it's been so fun to just witness the transformation. Again, everybody, we, we all have everything that we need inside us already. It's just sitting there. But can we hopefully have conversations like this? So we have, well, yeah, it's been a little bit since we've had a, a family meal. And I get that that life could be difficult to uh, experience. How do I slow it down? Well, maybe for your family, it might be having breakfast. You know, that could be the meal where you guys really create the space. Or maybe, hey, yeah, like you said, hey, we got sports going on. So the weekend is our designated time. But just finding the time to value creating that space for your family to to come together and be there for each other. So that's okay. all. That's all I Breakfast wanted. This is a good and a nice big frittata before school on Monday. <laughs> yeah. That's a good idea. Um, so you have a second one. You have sent an email announcing, I think, pre-orders, right? On the second one. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, the website just got ready for it and. You can go to pizzadays.org. We would love your support. Again, this is supports our nonprofit. It gets maybe a little confusing, which is called C4 Leaders. Um, but I chose to use pizza now to develop leaders. And so the book, again, is pizzadays.org. But everything we do, any, any people that are involved with my nonprofit are volunteers. So I started it. I run it. This is what I do now. I don't personally take a penny from anything that I do. Uh, all the book proceeds go towards a nonprofit, uh, which allows us to go out and make pizza for people that potentially can't afford it, uh, give out books, uh, do team building leadership uh, events, and trying to do some unique work around the world's you know, favorite uh, uh, food, you know, pizza. And there's just magic that, that happens uh, when you combine uh, the fire, food, family and friends and and just uh, create that space again. And so trying to get people there now with the second book. So excited uh, uh, about it to answer your question and segue into that. It's called Lucy's Secret Sauce. And I've been blessed to have three boxers, um, the dog. And uh, I love that breed. And Lucy was my second one. And so it's a story uh, about her and her sharing her secret sauce with Mrs. Rock's fourth grade class now and how she becomes a therapy dog uh, and just guides the students with Lucy's secret sauce, which is basically just how she loves people. And she helps them. And, and in her loving the students in of Mrs. Rock's class allows the students to develop their own secret sauce and interpret, you know, what Lucy's love to them means. And okay, let me now develop my sauce, so to say, and then share that with everybody else. And so I think it's a, it's a great story. I don't want to ruin it for people, but uh, you're going to, you're going to laugh and cry uh, throughout this story. And um, I'm really, really excited to, to get it out. And, you mentioned this a series. How many do you think we have planned? Yeah, there's five because I'm basically this is where it gets a little confusing. The the first one we rise together was like an overview of everything, and then now I'm I'm basically breaking down each C for oh, okay. the for the next four, which 
you know, I'm sharing this with you, but yeah, I guess I think it gets confusing. Wait, we're talking pizza and now we're talking C4. So <laughs> yeah. So the, the secret sauce is disguised as a C. So people won't know, but basically breaking down each C and then I'm going to write an adult version, uh, after, uh, and, uh, I actually started with the adult version and then I was teaching nursing at Sacramento city college and my students, I told them about it and they're like, oh man, we have kids. And I, I told them I was going to write children's books after I was done with it. And they said, no, you need to write the children's books first. And then I'm really glad that I did because I think there's a, a huge need right now for books that have these positive messages about life that can help bring uh, youth and families together uh, and give you some confidence and give them some tools to, to navigate life. I think that that sounds right based on the, the, the kids I see that my children hang out with and just sort of the, the atmosphere, now school is a whole other topic, but the atmosphere that seems to exist there to, together is a good idea. Well, I like it. I'm glad you're in support of it. I am. Ribs is what's for dinner. Or maybe beef stroganoff. Or maybe roast chicken. Find dinner ideas in my cookbook, Cooking for Comfort. One pot meals you can make. It's available on Amazon or use the link on my blog page, culinarylibertarian.com slash cooking for comfort. All right. Um, I'm going to move on to a sort of the quick fire part of the show. That's what they have called it. Um, and just uh, simple, just short questions and they don't have to be one word answers, but you'll sort of see that they could end up being that. Uh, of the five flavors, sweet, salty, bitter, sour, or umami, which one's your favorite? Mm, that's tough. I'll, I guess I'll go sweet for right now. Just I'm just going to put it to pizza. And uh, my favorite pizza right now, obviously, is my sourdough with a little bit of olive oil, uh, a little bit of onions and mushroom, tiny little specks of some goat cheese, definitely jalapeno on there. And then back to your, your question, a little bit of fig uh, uh, jam around it. And oh, man, that just that combo just just gets me. So, yeah, I'll have to go with sweet on that one. There's a lot going on. It's a good time. <laughs> so this this seems like a trick question for you. What's your favorite food? I should say this because it's, but I, I have to go. I have to go. My my wife's Mexican and and she can really cook. And she just made a pot of beans right now. But uh, and I love Italian. Obviously, that's probably a tie. But if I had to pick one. I got to honor my wife and uh, she's the best cook that I know. So I'll say Mexican. What's your least favorite food? I don't think I have one. You know, I think growing, growing up with uh, a big family and for some reason, our house was always the house when somebody else got kicked out of their house, they came to live with us. So it was just like an open door. And so you learn to just eat what was there. And so I can't really think of a food that's like, nah, I don't want to eat that. You know, it's just not, not really um, something that 
yeah, I, I'm willing to try everything. And yeah, I don't think there's really anything that I've come across as like, no, nah, I'm never going to get that. Okay. Um, what sound do you love? Uh, I'm trying to, and I'm, I've just emailed the lady, but I really want to learn the ukulele. And so that is such a beautiful instrument to me. And so I'm going to pick that as, as my sound. That just gets my heart just feeling so good. What sound do you hate? Uh, I'll say that I didn't know that I disliked that. Uh, uh, the, my wife and I just went to visit my daughter in Spain and we took the BART to San Francisco airport. And there are certain parts of going underneath the water to get over there that it just screeches. And I told my wife, Hey, we're going to have to, to bring some earplugs next time. Um, so the screeching of the BART uh, going to SFO, which is San Francisco international. <laughs> it does do yeah. that. It does that in New York yeah. city too. What gets you excited? Just the opportunity to be around people and to, not to sound too corny, but to just enjoy one day and, and help us all kind of rise, so to say. You know, I just love that. And even I'll go a little bit longer on this one because I and people laugh at me. But if I was at a party, I think I would be a guy just sitting back, you know, and just kind of taking everything in. And so I, I think I'm a mix between an introvert and an extrovert. But definitely people, especially in the space around making pizza and doing the, the C4 work that I do, just for sure gives me uh, energy and just fills my heart you know, with, with love and happiness and joy. What turns you off? Uh, just people not, not being kind to each other. You know, just, yeah, I just don't think there's a... a a need, a need for that. We all get there. You know, this last season for me, coach and I definitely was not the nicest coach uh, for my players and definitely feel not great about that at, at times. Um, so, yeah, we all make mistakes, but can we just learn from them and grow from them? And, and I think most of the time people in this case, I'm talking about not being kind. You know, I think there's other stuff going on that, um, Again, if we can slow life down, figure out what that is, I think we'll treat each other uh, neighborly, you know, so to say. What's your favorite color? For sure, a California blue. And that's not sky blue. I'm specific on my C4 colors. Uh, yeah, it's a, a mix between like a sky blue and a turquoise. Yeah, that definitely catches, catches my eye every time. If you could cook for anyone ever, who would that be? That's a great question. You know, right now I would love, my mom died in 2019 and it was uh, before obviously COVID and I started my pizza stuff, you know, right as COVID was coming and I would love to drive my truck to my mom's house have her sit out there in a chair and have her tell some stories uh, about our family and have just my brothers and sisters and, and my family now uh, around and just have a good visit. Yeah, that would be for sure. Number one, number one person for me. Sounds, fan sounds fantastic. 
What's your favorite food indulgence? Mm. I'll just say almond butter. Trader Joe's, Trader Joe's, your sweatshirt that you're wearing, almond butter. So I don't know if you work there on the side or what's going on, but I'm hoping I get some some almond butter from you out of this thing. Well, I don't work there now. I worked there years ago in Princeton, New oh, Jersey. Nice. And it's been six or I seven years. I love Trader ago. Joe's. So you mentioned it. How can people follow you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pizzadays.org, C4leaders.org. Those are our websites. And then uh, Instagram is at C4leaders. And then I think I just have a, a an incredible marketing intern from Chico State. Danica, I love you and you have really changed my life and can't thank you enough, but I think she just created it's brand new a TikTok, uh, and I think it's just C four leaders. Um, and then we have okay. like Yelp and uh, yeah, but yeah, I would say those. And then YouTube, I think, uh, uh, is on there. And then I don't even mention you know our our nonprofit. We host our own podcast, uh, and it's called Life's Essential Ingredients. And so people can definitely follow us uh, uh, on that. And we have listeners in. I think 40 countries and 600 cities and have people that we talk to uh, all over the world. That's fantastic. Good for you. All right. Well, I got a few more. I got another part here called the chef table, which is for the Patreon supporters. So we're going to say thank goodbye here. Thank you for your time today, Jeff. I appreciate you being here. All right. Thanks a lot, Dan. It's a great conversation. Well, I'm glad you think so. That's the whole goal. All right. All right, folks, that's going to do it. I'll put links to Jeff's C4 page on the show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 241. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you being here. And thanks to my Patreon supporters. Jeff's Chef's Table portion is up on the Patreon. Click the link on the show notes page to become a patron. Patrons get access to chef's table portions from the guests as well as bonus content that I make for patrons. Have a good week, and I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.